Morning, everyone. Uh, we're just a minute or two uh, over our start time, so I think we'll, while people are still gathering in, um, we'll, just, we'll just get going. Um, first thing I would say is from, from here, uh, you all look very far away. So if anybody who is comfortable, I'm looking particularly at Dave Smith at the back there, uh, if anybody is comfortable to come forward, I think it would be really nice for the presenters if, um, if there was a little bit more uh, people at, at the front, but just, just if you're comfortable, I know, I know that people might, might not be, so, so thank you. Thank you very much, and apologies in advance to Dave for, uh, for calling him out. <laughs> That's brilliant, thank you very much. That, that, that looks and feels a lot less, a lot less lonely, so, uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, for those of you who, uh, who I don't know, um, my name is Stephen Long. I, I work with, as part of the Learning Estate team with, with Scottish Futures Trust. Uh, and uh, really glad to be, to be here with you, with you all today. Uh, I've got a bit of housekeeping to run through before we get into the, into the interesting bit. So, so please uh, just bear with me as I, as I go through that. So as you'll have already found out, uh, the catering areas are all within this hall, there is some outside as well, but mostly with, within the hall. If you could keep your phones um, either off or on silent, please, because it's obviously a bit, it's an open area and it's quite disruptive if, if anybody's phone um, goes off. Uh, and I guess uh, linked into that, the, the, if the fire alarm should sound, head for the exits and somebody should be there, some staff from the SEC should be there to, to help you. Uh, this evening, then, everybody's invited to um, a drinks reception, the Lord Provost drinks reception, which will be just in this area here uh, from round about five until, until about, about six. And if anybody is, is staying for the awards dinner, and I know lots of you will be, uh, it starts with the drinks reception at, at seven. Uh, there was some different timings out there, so I think, I think uh, seven is, is when people will, will, be, will be there. Um, and if you've got any questions on any of that, the organisers have got a stand, which is just down in the back corner there. So don't come to me, uh, go to them. That would be, that'd be great. And then lastly, just on, the, on this bit of it, uh, this um, conference is C CPD accredited uh, and anybody who's attended will get their certificates sent out uh, afterward. So Kathleen said I had to read that out because she got into trouble at the last conference for not doing that, so uh, I've, I've done my bit. So anyway, it is great to be back. As the first uh, speaker said, it, it's been a couple of years since we've been able to, to get together like this, uh, and it is fantastic to see um, old faces, new faces, parts of faces, and, and try to play uh, who do you know just by looking at their, looking at their eyes. But what it made me think, even just this morning, as, as everybody was gathering in after uh, you know, literally a couple of years of just meeting people on screen, it, it, there was lots of people obviously greeting each other uh, and lots of people saying things like, how are you? Or are you well? How's it going? Um, how, how are you doing? And we, and we trip these things off our, off our tongue um, like, like they don't matter. But I suppose what the last couple of years has shown us and even today, where people have had to call in sick, we're wearing masks, we're doing tests, I guess it shows us that asking people how they are and how well they are is really, really crucial to, to be able to do anything else. And it's the same whenever we leave each other, we say, look after yourself, take care, take it easy, all the best. 
And all of those things that are just words that we fire out, but maybe they've taken on a slightly more significant meaning uh, over the last couple of years. And we maybe never quite look at those phrases in the same way. So it reminds us that being well, opposite of well-being, being well is essential to doing anything else. Without that, we're, we're going nowhere, we're doing nothing. On this session this morning, um, the, three, the three presentations that we've, that we've got, it's going to be quite, quite packed, but we'll, we'll get through it. The three, those three presentations are all on that subject of how can learning environments help to support people to, to be well. So first up, we've got um, a collaboration between uh, Sharon Wright and Helen Taylor. Uh, Sharon is from the, the Learning Crowd. Helen is from Scott Brownrigg Architects. Uh, and they um, have worked together over many years in the, in the field uh, of, of, um, of learning environments and how they can be made to work for and with different, different groups of people. They've got experience between them at policy level and, and at design, uh, looking at how pedagogy and, um, and space interrelate um, and they work across all parts of the, the design and construction process to actually try and make ideas happen. So uh, today they're going to talk to us about, uh, against that background, they're going to talk to us about how the start of the journey, the briefing process, uh, might put well-being at the centre. So I'm not sure who's first, whether it's Sharon or... It's Sharon, okay. Thank you very much. Oh, both together. <laughs> thanks very much. Um, thanks very much, Stephen, and it's just absolutely fantastic to be here. Helen and I are going to do uh, a proper double act, um, if we can make this work. Fantastic. So um, we're going to concentrate today on what the brief would look like if we really listened to families and young people. Now the thing I would say is staff are really important in the process as well. We've only got 15 minutes so we just took a decision that we'd have to talk about staff another day so you'll have to invite us back. Um, but what we really wanted to do was think about um, what is well-being and what would it mean if we started from that point and designed the brief. Um, there's some really good work already out there around the getting it right for every child um, indicators around well-being, but also I think just you know looking at definitions um, around what it means and thinking about things like health, comfort, delight and happiness. You know, how wonderful at, at the current moment to, to start with those um, concepts. And really thinking about if we embedded well-being um, in the briefing process, what would it mean? Um, and what might we prioritise and might we do things differently? So, Helen. Thanks, Sharon. So, um, in springtime last year, when we were all going into lockdown, experiencing this very new situation and new environment, um, Scott Brownrigg decided to put all of our research efforts into looking into post-COVID design and how architecture and design could support uh, health and well-being. So Sharon and I collaborated and pulled together a group of professionals, so obviously ourselves, we had a head teacher, we had Crawford Wright, head of the DFE, uh, we had a local authority, to talk about what would the brief for well-being look like. And we produced reports available to download on our website, um, and the key headlines um, that came out of that conversation were around the outdoor environment, they were around inclusion, and they were around community connectivity. So we wanted to reflect on this again a year on um, and think about how we could bring the voice of the students and the young people into this conversation and test this brief and see, does, is this brief valid? Have we picked up everything we could? 
So I've been really lucky over the years, 20 years, of working on skill design, and I've got to work with lots of young people and families over that time. And I just went back and looked at the... Um, you know, hundreds of events that I've managed to run and thought about where we could start if we were having this conversation and listen, really listening to young people. And I think, you know, you don't start with what do you want your school to look like. You start with things which they understand and which are important to them. So the conversations we've had have been about what's it like to be a young person growing up here in this place. And I think in Scotland that really resonates with the place principle as well. Um, where and what do you learn? Um, what are your ambitions for the future and how does your learning support you in achieving those? And then at the bottom of that pyramid almost, the inverted pyramid, it's like, and what does that mean for the learning spaces that you need to allow you to fulfill those ambitions? For parents, it's about, you know, what sort of skills and experiences do you want your young people, young, your children to have? What relationship do you want to have with schools so you can support them? Um, and what sort of skills and experiences do you need to be effective in that process? So some of the things we've learned, um, I think, are really interesting. These are three different events that, where I spoke to um, young people, and I just pulled them out as examples of a, a really interesting starting point. The first one um, was actually in Scotland, where the young people said to us, we're really proud of where we live. It's beautiful, it's historic, um, but we'd like to see more age-appropriate activities for us, catering to our interests and our needs. Um, and for our friends and families to come together. So the, we drew out of that a headline message for the brief about our skills should be connected to and enhance our community. The next one was in London, um, really challenging local authority in London, where children just talked a lot about not feeling safe, about being on the wrong bus with the wrong school tie, about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, about getting involved in gangs, and they said school is our safe place. It's the one place we come to where we can leave all that outside. So I think the concern for us then was how do you create a really safe environment which is not a fortress in terms of supporting their well-being. And the last one, you might guess, is Liverpool, <laughs> the northwest, where they talked about people saying the young people are scallies and hoodies, and actually school was the place where you could come together with family and community and they could understand what young people were about. Um, so the, the, the headline from that was our school should, should bring people together, create relationships in our community. So I think you know, about having those conversations about what does it mean to you to be young here and, and, and your future really helps to understand where you can start the briefing from. We also talked to young people um, about how they feel about spaces and this was a set of conversations around external space. You know, you're in, you're in your favourite outdoor space, how do you feel? And the language you get is incredibly rich and incredibly exciting. And a lot of talk about um, getting together as a community, about relaxing, about joy, about acceptance, about positivity. And again, I think if you're really trying to understand what's important to young people, asking them the right questions, starting in the right place, um, really helps. And from a design perspective, I think that, that idea of bringing in health and well-being and the importance of uh, the impact on an individual is not, not a new thing. This idea has been around for quite a long time. But I think the, the focus now is a lot more about the impact in terms of that connectivity and that connectivity with nature particularly. 
and we're starting to see this now coming through into schools. You, you may or may be um, familiar with the concept of biophilia, the positive impact that, that connection, visual and physical connection with nature has. Um, this is a school in Dubai, the Royal School in um, the Royal School in Dubai by Bogle Architects, where they've literally brought the green space into the building. We don't necessarily see this in schools very often, but maybe this is something that, that could be really valuable to us. Um, and certainly something that the DfE are exploring with their Gen Zero schools idea with the pilots, where they're really thinking about how the, the school environment as a whole, inside and out, can actually reflect, not only reflect that need for connection with nature, but actually make the environment itself resilient to the more extremes of climate that we're facing into the future. And Ian Bogle from Bogle Architects demanded that I say it. He's a good Glasgow lad and, you know, he's delighted that his school is being shown here today. Um, so we talk to young people about where and what they learn and they have a really broad concept of learning. They don't just see it as happening in schools, they see it as happening everywhere. Um, and they don't just see, um, you know, formal education being taught things as learning. They see learning as a really wide set of um, opportunities and skills. So they talked about extracurricular activities, they talked about faith and church and what happens in mosque, um, they talked about at home taking care of pets and the skills they get from that, um, managing their own learning, they see themselves you know, really importantly as, as um, being able to do that, hobbies, they talked about learning on the way to school with the conversations they have with their parents. Um, so I think you know, we have to understand as well that young people don't see school as something outside of their understanding of what learning is. And when we're writing a brief, we need to be connecting all their learning opportunities together to make sense for them. Um, and that idea of education permeating outside the boundaries of the school is something that Sharon and I looked at in our urban schools book, the whole idea of the dispersed school. And I think to make that happen, though, we need to make the whole urban environment welcoming and re remove barriers. And there are a lot of barriers at the moment, some of those physical, some of those social, um, and some of the things that Sharon was reflecting on earlier in terms of how children feel about their environments is really, really important. And that, and that, that sensory experience can be a barrier to, barrier to them learning. Um, and we are seeing examples around the world, though, where this is being put into practice. So the, the one you may have heard of, School as a Service in Espoo in Finland, where um, school provision is being distributed across the city. But it's very much reliant on a cultural approach to the city where it's expected that young people will be able to move around by themselves independently. And the public um, transport system enables that to happen. And you may be familiar with um, a book called Urban Playground that came out recently by Tim Gill. And I really wanted to, to raise this if you're not aware of this book, because it has been picked up around the world. And I think it's really resonated with the experience we've all had over the last year or so. The benefit we've seen of, of actually getting outside our own houses and, and accessing spaces. And for those of us who are parents seeing the importance to young people, to children, of having access to spaces outside and make, making them feel welcome. So I think we need to think about outside the box, outside the boundary of the school as well, if we want to give young people a, a positive, healthy experience of their environments. So I think just understanding that map, whatever it is, of how school and opportunities and places and community come together and because young people understand this map really well um, and I think if you're creating a brief it needs to, to have that. 
Um, talking to young people about types of skills and learning experiences that they need for the future, again, they have a really broad view. They don't talk about subjects. Um, they talk about experiences and activities. They, they're ambitious. You know, they, they see themselves having a great future. Um, they talk about interpersonal skills a lot and relationships between generations and between families and friends. They're creative. They want to be stretched in terms of their creativity. They want active opportunities for learning. They want practical hands-on opportunities. Um, they want variety. Um, and that variety is not just about the classroom, but outside the classroom. Um, it's about um, interest and engagement. Um, and they talk about life skills, not just academic skills. So again, I think, you know, creating something which is, um, from a young person's perspective, going to enrich their well-being is important. Um, and I think that, you know, that is really about then understanding the range of activities, um, the experience you young, want young people to have in those spaces, and then sort of mapping the spaces against that, rather than starting the other way around, you know, and saying, we've got a series of... Um, uh, of learning spaces, what can we do in them? I think that's that, you know, young people aren't convinced by that approach. And it was interesting listening to our first speaker today reflecting on COP26, obviously standing here, you know, where that's just happened. And I think we're all feeling a sense of eco anxiety at the moment. Um, and for young people, that's particularly impactful. That's having a real difference and a real impact on mental health issues. So we need to, to support young people to be able to have uh, impact in agency, to feel that they've got an opportunity to make a positive difference so that they do have a sense of a positive future. Oh. <laughs> Me again. <laughs> So what does that mean for the wellbeing brief? So well, there are already schemes that are being established to try and support young people to, to get involved, to get engaged, and that's so important to their, to their mental health. Um, but also what's really important to you know, Gen Z, so the generation of my children, the ones that have grown up with, with never knowing life without the internet and without social media, is the importance of authenticity. They're much more interested in their peers they're much less trustful of institutions. Um, and I think, you know, we as adults and professionals need to let them talk to us. We need to listen to them and make sure that their voices are heard in, in the discussion because the way things are going currently, they don't have a lot of faith in us. So when we've talked to young people about what all of their aspirations for the future mean in terms of the sorts of learning places they want, they tend to kind of go, you know, and it's true, we do know, actually, because they say things like we want comfortable furniture, um, we want good ventilation, we want lots of daylight, you know, we do know all these things. And if, if those are the only things we're asking young people, then they're kind of like, well, we've told you this before, or you know this already. So I think that's quite important. Um, and, you know, that they're pretty savvy when, when it comes to us kind of, you know, playing lip service to talking to them. So, yeah, I think none of these things on this list will surprise you. Animals come up a lot. I'm a big fan of animals in school. Every school should have a llama or an alpaca or at least a rabbit or something, I think, you know, because it really means a lot to young people um, to have a sense of responsibility. So that's, that's just probably the thing I'd point out here. And a lot of these kind of spaces, I think, you know, and experiences and opportunities, they exist. You know, these are all things that already exist and already happen. But it would be great if every child has an opportunity to access these kind of spaces and these kind of opportunities. And unfortunately, we aren't there quite yet. 
So I think parents are really important as well, and we don't encourage parents and carers. We don't encourage them um, enough to talk to us about what they want their relationship with school to be, how they can support the young people, and what that means again then for the brief um, as to how we create spaces which engage them. And I spoke to um, parents from uh, ten schools just before the pandemic. Um, and they said some really interesting things. They said schools are always on transmit. They're always telling us things, mostly things that mean nothing to us, but they're telling us anyway, and it's constant. They're not listening. Um, you know, that I, that one parent said, I just want them to know that my child loves to play the guitar. Who do I tell and how do I tell them? And I thought that was really interesting. Um, they also say, who knows my child? Who knows if my child's having a good day? Who knows that, you know, they're a good rounded person, that they're not just, you know, academically um, <clears throat> that's one part of what they do um, who can tell me if you know they've done something great that day will somebody text me and let me know um, and they said things like what are parents evenings for who are they for why do they happen are they for us are they for the child or the teacher you know they said we're a bit confused sometimes about our interactions with school and what we're supposed to be doing about it um, but what was important to them were things like transition and they said, you know, we should be starting transition much earlier. So we should be joining up the learning journey for children in a way which it doesn't feel like a big deal for them to move school or to move phase or whatever, you know. And they said, we can help with that, but we need to be partnering with um, schools to do that. Um, they said there should be more links between home and school. I think this reflects what young people said to us about that connection and learning happens everywhere. Um, they wanted more skills to support their young people. They wanted this two-way communication. Um, and they wanted to celebrate the child's achievements, not just academic achievement, but everything they were good at. Um, and they wanted to use their skills to support schools, but they said they found that actually quite difficult. So again, I think you know, building places and, and creating spaces that in, allow that um, engagement to happen is important. Um, and they, what they wanted for their child, they didn't talk about exams, they didn't talk about academic results, they talked about life skills, they talked about managing stress, they talked about um, being allowed to grow things, get their hands dirty. They talked about relationships, communications. So for parents, I think, you know, they see the ability to um, have well-rounded young people, not just young people with exam results, is really important. And what that means in terms of, ex of, terms of the environment itself is about um, designing spaces and places that, that all ages can use and, and all, um, the whole community can access to, to improve their skills. And just the spaces in between the teaching spaces as well, making sure that they're welcoming, comfortable, engaging, they encourage people to communicate, really, really important. So I think just to finish off, you know, and we're not finished this work yet, we're going to keep doing some um, thinking about this and, and um, if you've got ideas we would love to hear from you, if you've got case studies we would love to hear from you because we're going to continue the conversation. But I think, you know, from us now we would like to start the conversation about a brief from young people's focus on ambition, relationships, experience and skills, not places and spaces. Um, that aspect of delight and happiness that they get from the people around them. Um, the process of creating the brief, I think, is as important as the brief itself. It creates that conversation, that understanding. It allows you to be specific and address place-based you know, problems and issues and things which are important to the people there. But I think it's about asking those hard conversations and really listening. Um, I think ownership and autonomy is really important and in, you know, bringing people with us um, on that journey helps with that. And that connection between school and home and community um, is about understanding the wider landscape and creating a brief which doesn't stop at the school gate but actually thinks more widely. 
Um, and I think, you know, if we're responding to priorities that young people and families have, um, I think it's about uh, a different sort of uh, set of skills around bringing the outside in, um, ticking them out uh, of, of the space into the community and really understanding these issues around agency. So in conclusion, what, what does this all mean for our initial wellbeing brief? So I think when we looked at this again, we were, we were kind of comforted to know that we hadn't got it completely wrong. Those principles still are relevant. They're still true. They still stand true. But I think we felt that there's, there's a lens that we need to look at these issues through the eyes of the children. Um, we need to bring in principles of safety, but you know, not, not, it's not about um, keeping people in, it's about making them feel safe, giving them access to both physical and mental health benefits and facilities, giving them space to show their achievements, to display, to celebrate, but also to feel nurtured within that, without, within that educational environment definitely to be active in, in all sorts of ways, to be active learners and just active in their day-to-day -day movement around the, the space and to feel respected and have opportunities to, to communicate both ways and be listened to. And that, that need to have a sense of responsibility, I think, came through really strongly. Um, and we certainly know that the amount of autonomy that young people have these days is much less than people of their age used to have in terms of their freedom to move, their, their agency. So I think giving them a sense of responsibility and ownership is really important. And finally, of course, inclusive design literally means they need to feel included. So I think that, that's the lens that we will be looking at this um, through in the future. So as a designer, this hopefully will help me have a brief for schools. And as Sharon said, we'd love to hear of any thoughts and case studies you've got on this. Thank you. Thank you very, mu sorry, very much, Sharon and Helen, for for so much packed into, into a short time. Um, one thing that resonated with, with me there was a bit about the parents' night and about you know, schools always being on the transmit. And, and I wonder sometimes, are, are some of us guilty uh, of being transmitters rather than uh, listeners and receivers? So we need to, at, at the very least, remember to, to listen and receive as, as well as transmit. Um, this next session, uh, is Nada Milivojevic is going to lead, but uh, in something that we maybe wouldn't have done pre pre COVID, we're also going to try to bring in uh, her her colleagues uh, who are in Belfast uh, virtually. So maybe that's one of those uh, silver linings that's come out of the last couple of years where we've learned how to do these things, hopefully uh, seamlessly. So um, uh, Nada and uh, Claire Mulholland and Jim Mulholland. They're part of a, a knowledge transfer partnership between Queen's University of Belfast and Todd Architects uh, with a particular interest on how learning spaces can help um, to, to bring people, to bring communities together, which, which uh, springs off um, what we've just been speaking about. So, uh, Nada, over to you. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Um, Thanks so much. Um, hello, everyone. Um, thanks, Stephen, for the introduction. So um, we will start straight away so we get enough time to go through all the presentations slowly. So um, 
Um, today, Jim um, and Claire will present from Belfast. Uh, we have a little hybrid presentation. Um, so uh, Claire will start with introduction and then I'll jump in with the middle section and then Jim will make the conclusions and show some projects from Todd Architects. Many thanks. Thanks, thanks Nada. Hi, um, hi everyone. My, my name is Claire Mulholland. I'm the academic on the team that is um, Academia uh, Practice Partnership. So I'm going to briefly just talk about the background to the project and where it started. Um, and then Nadja and Jim are going to focus very much on the, the body of work um, that came out of it. So if we just jump to the next slide, please. So to explain, um, this is a knowledge transfer partnership, which if you don't know what that is, it connects industry to academia to support innovation. So in this case, it enabled the practice that is taught architects to bring in um, academics into their practice to um, discuss innovation through pr project work. So the project was originally conceived back in 2018 when the world was all still normal. Um, and it connected my research, which is based on architecture and planning as a tool for integration in divided and diverse communities. And Tony's research, um, he's an education specialist and he examines the role of education in divided societies and the collaboration between schools and the role of social networks. So this topic does lead on very well from the first speakers. We, uh, myself and Tony, then approached Todd Architects as a collaborative partner um, to develop this research in through live projects. So we needed a creative practice with an open mind to test, explore concepts with. And then we were very lucky to have Nadja to join us as the KTP associate and she led the work and practice uh, on, on, on site. So all of the work and um, the aim is to support the company uh, in the development of its design innovation and its architecture. And through this, we aimed to build uh, design toolkits, flexible design toolkits that responded to the company need and the, what was coming out of the research. So next slide, please. So the context, um, the context of the project is that all cities, whether it's local, regional, global, have divided populations. We all have the challenges of supporting interaction between diverse populations. We're focused on schools um, because we believe strongly they act as a platform for engagement and that's not just for the children attending the school but the adults connected to the school. And it builds on that body of research that um, schools can build communities and bring communities together. So the school is a shared space that can create positive experiences. Um, it can build trust and support among individuals and groups and therefore can become that really vital catalyst for wider community context and integration. So we're using the theory on social and uh, spatial practice in divided groups and building that into the architectural design and planning of school buildings. Um, so that we're, we're saying that the building itself, the, the concrete, the wood, whatever we're building it from, it's not just a passive um, item, that it is very much part and plays an active role in, in supporting uh, interaction between the children and between the adults and the wider community. Uh, next slide, please. And finally, that the design's contribution to education and integration works on 
sort of the macro scale of the city scale of where we design, where we place our, our buildings and the micro scale of from the um, spatial layout externally, internally. That the shared spaces in a city are communication platforms where members of the public can be seen, can be heard, can be socially engaged. They can interact passively or actively with other individuals. So the role is significant um, and that's what this project is based on. The role supports the micropolitics of everyday mixing and it has the potential to form new associations, reduce intergroup prejudice, uh, which in turn can contribute uh, to the cohesion and living with diversity. So I could go on much longer, but I'm going to stop there and pass over to Nadja and Jim, who will take us through the details of the project. Thank you. Um, so thanks Claire. Um, so um, just to start with, as, as Claire explained, so the idea was to develop toolkits to, pro to help design professionals create better design that will result in greater community cohesions. And to do that, we kind of stumbled across several different, completely different topics that we kind of try to merge together. So some of them is uh, on design, on new teaching practice, then on um, uh, initiatives uh, for divided communities and for bringing communities together, then um, a new design um, sort of trends and, and overall just design um, uh, education design overall. So as a result, we established um, several outcomes. One of them was the main toolkit for the practice, and then there was this uh, well-being as well um, sort of guideline. So some of this was already presented uh, during the digital week, which was in February. Um, and on that, I'll just touch upon, and there should be more information on that online. Um, next, please. So um, this was presented in um, February during the digital week uh, of this conference um, when we unfortunately couldn't meet in person. And um, today I'll just briefly introduce you to some of the concepts that we discussed. So this model is actually a well-known model of Maslow developed in like 40s, but it's a great tool just to visualize um, sort of the steps that should be provided to address everyone's needs. So, it's, it's a model that shows people needs and kind of shows them by the importance, ranks them by importance. And the overall, the base one is really uh, providing the basic school, so like good uh, thermal comfort or acoustics and safe place. Um, safety is the key next step, and then the middle part of the pyramid is all about the safety and belonging and relationships that people build and the importance to address those relationships and the importance to address the social connections. Um, because um, Maslow um, explained that um, for the well-being of every human, it's very important. Uh, so <laughs> sorry, I'm just a little bit distracted by the noise. Um, Okay, uh, yeah, so the middle part really, that's the main part that we really want to um, address today, which is the, the importance to address social needs, um, the importance to, um, to understand that for every human being, it's important to feel safe, it's important to feel respected where they are, and to feel like they belong to the group where they are. And there is more on this, which we presented in February, which you can uh, access online. I think it should be available on demand to the, web, uh, to the conference website. 
but today I will just continue on, on it and present some other outcomes of, of our work. Uh, next, please. Um, so the work started really, as Claire explained, with the research on divided communities in Northern Ireland. However, what we found is that these issues actually exist everywhere across the world. So that, that those issues of, um, for example, uh, differences between groups in, to in lack of tolerance between groups or uh, lack of uh, tolerance or negative attitudes towards marginalized groups, those kind of issues, they, they are present everywhere. And we wanted to see what, how can we help that, what are the initiatives, and how can we transfer that into like edu education design. Um, so as a, base, as a base of that work, we uh, started by looking into some of the work in divided communities by educators. And um, this diagram that you can see is a summary of skills um, that was established by um, Tony Gallagher, professor at Queen's University, who is a well-known educator and um, experienced in education design and divided communities. Uh, so Tony established that these are the key skills that children should have um, to provide safer, um, better communities, more cohesive communities. So the idea is to teach children how to interact, to develop their social skills, um, to develop their respect and awareness of others, which is also very important, and also language skills that can assist through that process. Um, so these are the key skills, and now uh, we wanted to see how can we actually transfer this now into like the build environment, and how can we actually use this as a tool? Uh, next, please. So the next step um, as educator, my, my, my background is also in education, and I want to see how, um, once we have these skills, how can we transfer into the real life, into like a physical world? But to do that, uh, we started thinking about the activities that would support development of those skills. And this little diagram might not be like completely ultimate, like some people might have slightly different opinion or they might add additional activities. But overall, the idea is that by, uh, by having those activities, Activities, we can support the development of skills. So, for example, to learn about others, how can we do that? We can do that by having social events, by having external connections, the parent engagement. Uh, we can do that by having shared learning between students, peer-to-peer -peer learning, and so on. To develop critical thinking, uh, we should think about like project-based learning, problem-based learning, uh, brainstorming, experiments, trial and, trial and error learning, and so on. So these are like the views that every educator would, would have. But um, the design professionals don't have, and for us to really bring the focus on, on the social sustainability and, and social issues, we wanted to understand the skills and then the activities and then translate that into space. Um, next, please. So um, for to do that as well, we went through this additional like route to understand what sort of spaces exist and there, there are these typologies which are already well established and there are several studies on this coming from a range of countries from here from Finland from Australia and these are great studies and we want to look into that expand a little bit on that and understand how can these spaces support the activities that we need to deliver so um, we we added one more diagram which is this specialized classroom um, which is um, because it's different just because of the equipment. So we have several different topologies or spaces within our schools, and that comes from these references you can see on the left side. Um, so 
actually, it was great to see two years ago on this conference, there was a research um, from Australia who was um, touching upon this topic. And um, their, their work was great, really, as, as a base for our research and to understand further the issues. So um, overall, yes, as you can see, these are the, we can see that certain spaces, for example, open space or flexible open space that can be closed can um, really provide for a range of social activities for shared learning, for like small group works, for, for study areas and so on. And of course, the emphasis on outdoor learning as well. Next. Um, and as a result of that, really to help the studio now transfer all that into, um, into like the practice, um, we established these couple of concepts that are kind of easy to imagine for design professionals. So um, the concept of sharing, which is the key because that's the way how we can teach children how to respect each other and like be aware of each other. So it could be about sharing the space, using the space for different purposes. Uh, so we teach children how to share. Um, it can be about uh, group work, so peer-to-peer -peer learning. Uh, then interconnectivity is about having that little school community uh, that's visually connected and uh, practically functionally connected so that, for example, can provide for multidisciplinary uh, education. Um, then community involvement um, is very, it's a key because the issue is not just on, um, on having children who maybe have different attitudes towards each other because they belong to different groups, but also on a parent level to bring parents together. It's important to have that element of community engagement. Um, and then also provide for critical thinking and provide for social learning, which is really an understanding the importance of social space. And the critical thinking is more about providing space where children can experiment, can practice their critical uh, skills. Next, please. Um, and as a result of all that, really for the practice, we, we developed a couple of like little diagrams that can be used in for architects, for example, or for clients, or when we try to understand design. So uh, when we try to develop the design. So overall, the, these concepts and the previous concepts, we actually use that in practice on several projects to justify design, to develop design. So there were a couple of schools in Northern Ireland, uh, SEP schemes, where we actually used these concepts in practice. And we justified that to the client and to really explain the idea. And so these little concepts um, are some of the, like, the practical manifestations of all of these ideas I was discussing earlier. So um, the first one you can see on the left is um, that concept of um, threshold to allow for parent engagement. Um, and the idea is to provide that little meeting point at the entrance where uh, people can meet, uh, uh, parents can meet, we can use it for social social, so, social um, events or just as a meeting point, like functional, but also um, to achieve that community engagement. Um, then the next one is about the circulation that now we want to expand. And that's already happening in practice. It's not a relatively new idea, but it's very important to emphasize on it and the emphasize of poten potentials um, that we have. So the idea is to really expand the corridors, provide certain like breakout areas and uh, small sort of areas within the corridors so that the corridor is something else apart from just the circulation, apart from just the 
corridor. It has nothing, no other functions. Um, and then the third one on the right, you can see. So these are like a resource spaces that are requirement in Northern Irish schools. So there is a requirement to have resource areas between classrooms. And what we found is that sometimes it's useful to group them. And by group, grouping them, we, we actually allow them to become multifunctional spaces, bigger spaces that can become social event spaces or, uh, for example, exhibition spaces. Um, the one on the below is about um, the necessity to expand the classroom outdoor, and that's also now um, my presentation before me as well. And, and two years ago, again, on this conference, there was so much emphasis on outdoor learning, and that was great, because it really shows the, the potential that outdoor learning has. And what we found is that the outdoor learning can actually support development of all, all those activities I, I showed earlier, and also development of those critical skills to bring communities together. Um, and in terms of the middle bottom diagram, it's about the visually connecting space, so providing, for example, transparency between spaces. And the idea is that uh, we really intrigue children. We um, make them think about oh, they, what they're going to study in two years, because they can see through like glass wall that something is happening, that there are like experiments, or there is a library. And they really become intrigued, and they start to think. And that's how we develop their um, learning at a very young age. Um, and then the right one is, is about flexibility of classroom, so that the classroom can become multifunctional space, um, and that so that one classroom can really provide for a range of different activities and, and uses. Um, Next, now Jim will, will follow up with um, some projects from Todd Architects. Uh, Jim is a, a director and architect at Todd Architects, and um, he will show some examples from, from the practice on how this was achieved in, in schools. Thanks. Next. Thank you, Good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone in Scotland. Um, I, my name is Jim Mulholland, director and education lead with Todd Architects, currently sitting in Belfast. Uh, next, whoever's controlling the slides there, please. Thanks. Right. So briefly, I'm going to take you through some of our projects. And I suppose these projects uh, inspired and led us to pursue the design research in this field and ultimately start the KTP with Queen's. So uh, I think what I would say, I'd say, interestingly, for us, these projects, old, uh, current, uh, and recently completed, they touch on some of the themes that were discussed even by uh, Sharon and Helen in the earlier presentation. And, and they really, uh, really, the KTP has helped us to, to understand better how to conduct engagement uh, during the brief and the design development of projects. The real design work of these three projects uh, happened before we started to develop hardline drawings. Uh, the common thread, I suppose, that runs uh, through them is uh, being that the standard school design rules handbook uh, was bent or was broken to achieve a particular educational and, by consequence, a particular spatial outcome. Uh, these positive outcomes could only be achieved by supportive, passionate and uh, committed school leaders and, and through positive engagement and, and, and brief development with them. So the first school we're looking at on screen is Ashfield Girls High School. It's located in Ballyhackamore, an area of East Belfast. Uh, an area which has a mixed socio-economic population. The design was focused on enhanced learning through social connections. Largely through the vision and the drive of the headmistress at the time, the school achieved a specialist status in the field of IT, of information technology, and we wanted to explore how this might inform the architecture of, the, of their new building uh, with the school um, 
leaders on board. So the primary design move was to place all of the accommodation around a large, central, flexible and shared space uh, which all other activities and spaces connected into. Next. This central space functions uh, as, a, as a sort of a, a town hall for the school, uh, hosting formal and informal meetings, uh, social and learning activities. All of the different year groups interact and it acknowledges the importance of the in-between space uh, of visual and physical connections within educational environments and uh, I suppose the unpredicted um, outcomes that, that, that happen as a result. So these spaces, they connect social, uh, or they support social connection, uh, incidental meetings, and bring to the fore the key themes of learning about others, of interaction, and of respect of others, and of awareness of others. So the school and the community, I suppose, uh, happily has embraced this project and the building. It's, it's now um, well over 12 years old. Um, and there's been a serious increase in demand and enrollment over those years to the point where the school now has a live development proposal out uh, and they're seeking funding to extend to meet their, their enrollment demands. Next. Turning to uh, primary school, this is Elm Grove Primary School. It is located in the inner city of, um, of East Belfast. So just on the edge of the city centre. Historically, it would be a white Protestant uh, working class community. Uh, the area has diversified in recent years due to immigration and migrant workers. And the community, uh, the community though at large has suffered greatly through the troubles um, and really the legacy of so social deprivation, of urban decay and of dereliction unfortunately endures. This project entails as well the amalgamation of two schools uh, of two school buildings, one Avenil Primary School and Elm Grove Primary School, and it amalgamates them into one school building and upon one, uh, one, one campus. Um, so both schools are, uh, interestingly, they're of both of the same uh, architect, uh, a gentleman called R.S. Wiltshire. They are both architecturally significant uh, and listed buildings. And this sort of informed a lot of a lot of the early moves and, and engagement with the school and the community. So our challenge was to provide an extension to a listed building, um, and, and that extension really had to be of a, of, of approximately equal uh, area of, of equal square footage of the of the existing building. We need to provide a new entrance and a new community focus for the school, and this really, this had to happen to address the evolution of the urban context that the building sat within, um, but moreover to connect uh, the inner city to the west of the site to and the greenway to the east and, and, and to the, the community at large. Um, and really the ultimate goal uh, is of opening up this um, physical external connection across the school to the public. Um, so often old ideas can prevail and we, as, you, as you'll see, have taken inspiration from the original design, not, not all of which was built actually. So, um, the original design was just the long, uh, what was built was the long uh, building you see in the photograph. And our um, extension proposals uh, took, took inspiration to create a series of shared external spaces between the new existing buildings. Uh, next. So we undertook extensive public community consultation um, and really this was following on from the disruption of a previous consultation which was to amalgamate the two schools. 
and also given the affection for the original building, it was really essential that uh, the wider community embraced the new campus design and the new design proposals. Uh, the two key focuses of the design were to foster the school's ambitions for, uh, to be seen as a new entity and to look towards the future. And secondly, to establish a strong social engagement and a physical connection with the wider uh, East Belfast community. The project has now happily started on site March of this year. Um, we started, just to give some context, we started this project in 2008. Next. So the final project I am going to talk about is OMA Integrated Primary School, uh, recently, recently completed and now uh, operation. Um, by way of introduction, so in Northern Ireland, about 7% of schools are integrated. That leaves 93% of schools which still reflect one religious denomination or the other. Uh, the demand for integrated education is definitely growing um, because it provides, it provides a platform where children from all sides of the community uh, grow and learn without the historic divisions. This project is located on the edge of the market town of Oma and it is adjacent to the integrated secondary school which was built some years earlier. And, and this marks, uh, this project's completion marks a 30-year vision to provide an integrated educational campus for the whole community in Tyrone and Oma. Next. So the building design arranges teaching space around a central open courtyard. Uh, as the design focus was to avoid the, it was to avoid the typical sort of double loaded corridor central spine design arrangement. The courtyard is used to visually connect all of the teaching spaces and fosters a safe and socially engaged learning environment. Uh, well-being and learning is enhanced by the school's spatial design. It fosters interaction, social engagement, and, and again, that theme of being aware of others and being aware uh, and respectful of others. So next. So in conclusion and to wrap up our presentation, uh, we, we've now completed this KTP, it was a two-year project with Queen's, uh, with, with, with Claire and Tony and uh, Nadja being the, the interface between um, the practice and the university. And we, as Nadja talked about, we are using the findings, we're using, you know, this toolkit, this uh, ability to engage more effectively. We're using that within live projects. Uh, four of the projects that we currently have on the boards uh, are all SEP schemes, which are the School Enhancement Programme in Northern Ireland, relatively modest projects that involve interventions and small extensions to existing buildings. Uh, we, we, we find that architecture and design can support and reinforce positive interactions and well-being at different scales within the school environment. And, and what, we've, what we've really come to understand is that not all design interventions have to be at the large scale. The small and the subtle can make a really significant impact. And this is really important to us, I suppose, as architects. And, and one of the things, you know, although I've shown three new, fairly large-scale projects, it's worth remembering that probably the vast majority of people will be educated in buildings that already exist, and it will be the small interventions to those which might make the difference. So the live office projects with the KDP are currently at pre-planning concept design stage, um, consultation and design toolkits uh, we've developed have been very productive. Hi, Jim. Sorry. I think we, we need to wrap up the presentation because we are running yeah. out of time for all the sessions. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, just, just the final point is we, we believe and, and, and have understood that architecture to be an active player in the complex challenge of improving social interaction and well-being of our schools and communities. So thank you, everyone. Thanks, John. Thanks very much, uh, Nara, Claire, and Gemma. And um, uh, I think we've maybe bitten off more than we can chew on this on this session. But uh, we are running into a break, so with your permission, um, we'll we'll maybe just run a little bit into that, a little bit elastic. Um, and apologies to to uh, to Do. Do, if you want to just do your your own introductions, then it'll save a little bit of time. So um, thanks very much. Okay, so hopefully you can hear me well. I've drawn the short straw, um, and also as an educationalist, I know that people can only concentrate at any one time for a very short amount of time, and we've gone way past that time. So I'm not going to go through the PowerPoints as I, I was going to. I just want to pick out the really, really key messages, because in many ways, what I'm talking about just now builds on the um, the uh, the presentations that we've just had, but what drives my bus, um, being that I'm um, into pedagogy in a big way, that I do nothing but um, research what actually goes on in our classrooms. It's very easy to talk about, yes, we've got to have project-based learning, yes, we've got to talk to our pupils about what they want to do. But at the end of the day, and here I use a, a, an image that may well at some stage go out of fashion when the classroom door closes, what actually goes on there in terms of the quality of the learning and the sustainability of that learning. And so often I get these wonderful images of new builds, of my hatred actually is orange fluffy beanbags, but nonetheless, the beanbags, the this, the that, and that's that area for this area. But what is actually happening in our classrooms with our teachers and our young people in schools? Where is the pedagogy on all of this? And so what we've been working on, and I'm very grateful to um, Architecture and Design Scotland, who um, commissioned us to do some of the work, and other, other um, agencies that are really, really helping us to work in classrooms with teachers, because what it's about is the quality of the learning, and it's about transforming well-being into well-learning, and that is through sustainable learning. So yes, we can take these fabulous snapshots of what children are like when they're busy, busy, busy. Is it gonna be like that in five years' time? Is it gonna be like that in 10 years' time? And it won't be unless we all connect. And connect, you know, we all, we're very familiar with the concept of from field to plate. Now, let's just, what does that look like if we're talking about the architects down to the small children, or the adults, the workforce, the young workforce. What does it all mean? And unless we're connecting, and there's one thing that I really can't cope with, and that is, you said we did. That is the most nonsensical thing that I've ever heard. It should be, we said we did. And so it's that inclusivity about 
inviting our young people and their teachers to be looking together at creating that vision for what learning's all about. And that is where, for me, the connecting is. We've got to have a common language that everybody understands. Because I could actually now deliver, note the, note the word, the verb, I could deliver a lecture. And if many of you um, sort of conceptualize me in my normal workplace, um, it would be that I would be standing here, tiered lecture theater, and I would be delivering knowledge. That is rubbish. That's not how people learn. And so what we've been working on with our young people is looking at how, when everyone understands a common interpretation of what learning is, and learning is incredibly complex, and if we got it right, then we'd all be Einstein's. That's not how it works, and neither is the, uh, the bell curve either. All of that is just nonsense. So what, uh, what we've been doing then is trying to look at when architects are talking to government agencies, are talking to local authorities, are talking to teachers, head teachers and pupils. That's not enough. The talking is not enough. The consultation is not enough. What we need to be doing is working together and finding a way to work together. Um, I had one. You see, if I just go back to space, Space should not determine learning. And I'm so uncomfortable on this stage because this space isn't a space that I'm familiar with, right? This kind of, all this interaction around, because normally in my spaces, things are quiet if I'm talking or there's group work over there and so on. Do you, you know, you get what I'm saying. So space should not determine the learning. Space is part of learning. So where does the spatial literacies come in? How do we hear about spatial literacies in Curriculum for Excellence? Where is it? And those skills that we've been talking about, every single person, all of these presentations, have been talking about skills that are needed for employability in the future. Where are they in curriculum if we're not building in that concept of space within our actual learning agenda. And so here, um, I just feel that because of COVID, I'm not going into all of that, um, the impact on, on our learning, but this is where we're standing from in, in the shared learning spaces research team. Everybody is a designer, everybody is a researcher, and everybody is a learner. So how are we going to build on these elements? Learning is physical, we know about that, and we've had fabulous examples. It's also virtual, and boy, do we know about that. But it's also cognitive, and it's also social. Where is the stuff around the cognitive stuff that's going on inside people's heads, inside the children's heads? It's not on the agendas. It's just being badged as, oh, problem-based learning, higher-order thinking skills, and so on. So here's what it is. Space can no longer be seen as a container, so this isn't an empty space and we've put our designs in it, but rather space is something that is stabilized out of these turbulent processes that is made by diverse and dy dynamic ongoing interactions. So um, in terms of seizing the problem, um, part of what we did as a kind of toolkit is looking at how do we develop a common language so that whether you're an architect, whether you're an official, whether you're, you know, whatever these labels are and wherever we are in the food chain for the learning that we're all passionate about, or at least I am, 
how can we communicate with each other? And I think what we managed to do was to look at some symbolic tools as well as some physical uh, processes in terms of everybody working together, not just talking. We can all talk, but this is working together. And so if I just, um, we've looked at all of this. Okay, so if we take learning, learning, five symbols there, the campfire, learning together, the cave, independent learning, all the stuff that's been talked about, the watering hole, supported and personalized and so on, the fields where you go out and do the stuff, the experiential stuff, and the journey to the mountaintop. So when we're dealing with the little symbols, any space now, I could hand these out to you and say, okay, so where are we going to have the campfire? What sort of learning goes on in the campfire? Well, it's the input, it's the sharing, it's the so on. We're all familiar with that, and so are teachers. And once you start, so, you know, the watering hole, what, what happens at the watering hole? You go along there when you're stuck, when you don't really want to ask, but you'll ask your friend or you'll ask somebody else to help you. And these are being used now Systematically, at first we thought they might only be relevant in primary, but oh, no, 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 no. They're fine in secondary, and also our student teachers are taking these very much on board because it means that whatever you're wanting to learn, whatever the teacher and the school and the curriculum is saying it's essential to learn, you then have to reconfigure your space to support that learning and as part of that learning. And um, as um, Architecture Design Scotland have their own processes and so on for actually enabling the teachers themselves to understand that shared vision. Because we don't want to be told what we've got to do, we've got to create it for ourselves. And in the true sense of transdisciplinarity, then when we get all these experts coming together, so you've got your expert architects, you've got your expert designers, your interior designers, your furniture people, your industry, your when all of these experts are together, then we can start to talk. Because just because a pupil says, I like my learning here because, that doesn't necessarily make them an expert. It makes them a consumer, it makes them a participant in that learning. It doesn't make them necessarily an expert. None of us, to an extent, are experts until we work together to create what that learning environment is and to have those skills to look at any space and say, right, if I want to do some learning in here, what am I trying to do? What are my objectives? I've even got, um, sadly, I can't, sorry, I should just say that it wasn't only the typo uh, typologist for learning, it's also the design factors um, and you can see down there what, what they consist of, and also the values, which are, all of these are important. And I'm not suggesting that we play, with, we play with little symbols every single lesson and every moment of the day, of course not. But these are understood by a larger group of people. Um, and we have teachers who are actually planning their lessons using those symbols because the learners understand the symbols. They understand that I could go on and on and on about the philosophy, the psychology, the principles of independent learning and how I need to be in my cave. Actually, if I talk about being in my cave and wanting to reflect, that's understood by everybody. So I haven't done um, my, uh, I haven't done what I was going to do, but I just thought, well, come on, Doe do the best thing, 
just talk from the heart and talk in terms of what the research has enabled us to do. And the case studies that I know um, ADS have now um, published, they're available. You can see there how, when working with teachers in schools, with head teachers, because unless teachers are on board, then it's not about being told, well, this is the room where you do your X, Y, Z, but this is a room, what would you use that space for? And having been on the end of uh, a teacher when I was uh, starting my career many years ago in a brand new school where the architects had decided that we would have um, rooms with those little movable walls, and I have to say that it was the most fantastic thing for classroom management because my, my pupils were always silent because they liked to know who was getting told off in the classroom next door. Did we as a staff ever discuss what it was like and what the opportunities were? No, of course not. Of course we didn't. And I know times have changed since then. And I know some of the designs that we've seen here are fantastic. But I don't care whether this is a brand new, when it's a build, whether it's a porter cabin or whether it's a Victorian um, school. So to finalize, um, quite recently we were working with some secondary pupils. They were responsible activists. And the activists that they were, were working about working with a whole different layers, levels of experts to design, to come up with their own plans for um, their school. They were working with college students who themselves had been through that, those schools and they were working together. And it's that, that, that my main message is around that working together to connect. Um, there is a definition that I would love to read out, I'm not going to, for what sustainable learning is, but it's seeing learning as that ecosystem. I know we're hearing a lot about ecologies and sustainability, but seeing the, the this learning space as an ecosystem, which has to be sustainable over time, um, will take me to my final slide, which is the next steps. And for me, this is all around investment. It's investment, financial investment, of course, but it's also investment in the um, bringing together of peoples who are operating at many, many different levels. And my greatest wish of all is for longitudinal research, because so often we get these snapshots fabulous data that's collected, people saying about how they feel and so on. That's, that's really, really great. But I'm also, as I said right at the very beginning, I'm dead keen to know what's happening five years down the line, two years down the line even, and have those spaces worked, in what ways have they worked and so on. Um, much closer collaboration between us all because we're all part, we've all, we're all stakeholders, I don't like that word, but we all are in Ultimately, why are we doing all of this? We're doing all of this for the quality of the education of our young people. Um, those diverse communities being much more, and, and again, it's been stated all the way through about involving communities. And I'm very privileged now to be part of the Scottish Alliance, um, which is one such body which will be bring together all of those people because we're very much involved in um, a global um, research initiative um, started by the University of Melbourne in Australia. So who knows? Keywords, I don't know, spatial, literacy, spatial literacies, sustainable learning, um, suitability, I don't know, all of those are in there. So I hope I've not taken up too much of your time and I hope um, I'd say thank you to my colleagues who did fabulous um, 
presentations. Mine wasn't that, but I just thought I'd share some key messages. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Doe. Thank you all for your, for your patience uh, and, and apologies for my uh, time keeping there. I think it was definitely worth uh, hanging around to hear, to hear Doe. Um, she is normally passionate. It wasn't just because I'd wound her up with the timekeeper. Um, so obviously we've got no time for questions and answers at the moment. However, we do have a, a, a workshop session at a quarter past two. Which is a, an opportunity, which is just over in this corner over here. If anybody wants to come along, we'll be taking uh, a pretty random bunch of thoughts, your thoughts, hopefully, of what you'd like to talk about. So, quarter past two at the workshop if you would like to unpack things a bit further. So, thanks very much for all the speakers, and thank you very much to you as well. Thank you.